Hello everyone and welcome to the LaRouge Rugby Podcast, focusing on real Canadian rugby. I'm Hugh Hardy, joined as always by Derek Brissett. Derek, we've had our first round of MLR action for 2023. Six games over the weekend, you know, very few clashes going on, just like an hour overlap uh, in some circumstances. Uh, What did you make of the weekend? Uh, I loved it. It's uh, it's very nice to have the MLR back. Um, you know, uh, obviously, it's always fun when we have the full slate of games to kick off the first week. And uh, as you said, it was it was fun, man. Got to come home from work on a Friday, and you know, the Arrows versus Rugby ATLs, the first game of the weekend on Friday night, uh, which kicked off a very lovely, lovely long weekend here in Ontario. Mm-hmm. Right. So basically got to watch rugby all weekend. And then on Monday, you could still have that time to like relax. It was great. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was great. It was perfect. Um, the arrows lost, unfortunately. Uh, we'll get into that in a minute. The Saracens also lost. So it's been a tough the Leafs lost to the Blackhawks. It's been a tough week. Tough weekend sports wise. Uh um, so yeah. Yeah. At least well, beat I got Montreal it. on Saturday night, but then they yeah. lost to the Blackhawks and ruined it. So. Yeah, no. Well, I got to say that like, the Ospreys lost as well. But then Lots again, well, not really, because yeah. half their squad is uh, the Wales starting 15, or maybe not, depending yeah. on if this strike action goes ahead. Well, but there's their squad we'll is half of the Wales starting 15, which is also losing. Yeah. But if you know why they're losing, then that's it makes true. sense. Yeah, anyway, let's, fo- let's focus on this continent and uh, let's get yeah. started on. Uh, MLR and as you said the opening game of the weekend was the Arrows versus Rugby ATL also for the Fire and Ice Cup as well uh, this um, you know uh, so the final score I'll, I'll start with the end first I'll mix it up uh, <laughs> ATL 17 Toronto 10 now you know losing bonus point and when you take into account all the other games that happened this weekend uh, the Arrows were the only team to get a losing bonus point. So they are currently uh, fourth in the East and seventh overall. And yes. especially after last year where, you know, there would be two games uh, which would be away uh, from home and the Arrows would, you know, not put in the performance they needed to and would basically walk away from those two games with zero points. So getting at least a losing bonus point is definitely an improvement. Um, But I would say that is the score in the 80th minute, because in the 75th minute, it was 17-0 to Toronto. And that's that's where we get into like the meat and potatoes of like this uh, game, was that the Arrows had a lot of scoring opportunities that unfortunately went to waste and if looking back on this game a lot of it was due to like handling errors um poor communication between the players uh not really understanding where they need to be not enough attack speed coming into place uh slow ball a lot of the time from the ruck and to be, to be honest credit where it's due this isn't just Toronto not living up to their reputation. It's also Atlanta who have an incredible defense. And, you know, I think this game this weekend was the most even of both teams. Uh, If you look at Atlanta's um, scoring, try scoring opportunities, Moen and White, uh, both about 10 minutes apart in the 13th and 23rd minute, came from 
uh, open play, but using kicking strategy to get the ball where it needed to be, you know, pushing the Toronto defense from one side of the pitch to the other, and then being able to score. Uh, the try that sealed it for Atlanta, uh, Biddle's try, was from the line out, um, opening up the defense there, Biddle just running through, missed tackles, allowing him to go over to basically put it beyond reach. And the only issue I would say for Atlanta is um, the failure to get that bonus point try where it looked like they were really close to getting that. If it hadn't been for a knock-on in that build-up, then that would have been definitely definitely positive for Atlanta. Um, also, their kicking. Coleman had two conversion attempts and one penalty and was only able to score one conversion. Van Schorwick also had uh, the conversion attempt for Biddle, and he missed that as well. But yeah, uh, Atlanta were able to turn it on, but they'll probably be kicking themselves that they didn't get five points from that game. But yeah, there was a lot of there was a lot of failings from both teams. I think the conditions it was very windy. It was pretty cold as well. Uh, this is obviously mid February still in Atlanta, and whilst that's you know practically tropical weather for yeah. us north of the border, um, it's still pretty cold as well. You know, handling errors from both teams. But yeah, Toronto were just unable to capitalize on any opportunity. For example, they were. They had the man advantage um, just before halftime and at the start of the second half with Tina Rasmus being yellow carded uh, for talking back to the ref. I want to know what he said. I just, I want to know what he said. We want to know what he said, but uh, (laughs) yeah, that's a message for the kids. Uh, Whatever the ref says goes and your opinions are your own. So keep them to yourselves. Otherwise you'd be, uh, you'd be taking a nice spot on the bench for at least 10 minutes. Um, but yeah, as in the inability to convert that man advantage into points yeah. is um, a critical error on their half. Um, and ultimately, the now we were able to get the injury injury list just prior to kickoff. I think on the day, it was like a few hours before kickoff even. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there was some notable answers like Mitch Edie was injured. Um, Noel Reed. Yeah, no Reed. Noel Reed, um, Will Grant. Yeah. And I just yeah. this pulled up Ro- yeah. uh, Ramona A. Arza. Yeah, and th- these are the which international interesting. players. I was going to say, yeah, which is interesting because three of those guys are international slots, and the Arrows used all eight of their international slots in this game. Because, yeah, that's correct. Because so... they don't have an extra one that they can use. Oh, we'll get to that later. But um, yeah, so when you have the, like these international players and when you have limited um, spots like this, then the yeah. plan is definitely to have all eight players um, be used. And, you know, it's. I think it was right. um, careful wrangling of like what you could have, who you could have, where you could have them and... Yeah, the point the yeah. point I was kind of trying to make with that was just like it'll be interesting to because you have uh, um Arza, Edie are both listed and Grant as well, but he doesn't necessarily apply to this. Um, but uh, Arza and Edie are both listed as day to day with Reed as week to week. So if those guys are coming back, yeah, then like you, there's some lineup decisions to be made if they're uh, if they're ready to go, right? Yeah, obviously, and um. You know, we we have mentioned previously that um, when 
Uh, the Arrows were looking for players for this season. They did manage to locate a few who, whilst being uh, yeah. raised internationally, do have Canadian heritage and therefore are classified as domestic players. Yeah. And so you can obviously play around with that again. But again, it is like making the most of uh, the situation you're currently in. It may even be as we're approaching the transfer deadline, which is halfway through the season, that um, other teams who are in a bit of a bind may be able to trade with some of their foreign player slots to open up the availability, and maybe the Arrows can capitalize on that. Yeah. We've yet to see, but... Well, um, unfortunately, too, Ben and... Uh, Nick Ben and Gene Simonton looked like they... Uh, well, they both needed to be helped or... They walked off of the field on their own, but they uh, they left the game with some in, with an injury. So, yeah, I think See, uh, we'll, we have to wait for that update. So, yeah, I think Ben looked like he uh, basically ben was hit playing, his shoulder. Ben was playing really, yeah, it was his shoulder. Ben was playing really well too. Yeah, uh, that's the thing. So was uh, Simonton. I like Simonton in the game too. Yeah, and you know, I think someone pointed pointed out on Twitter is that saying that the arrows look like a team that have been you know, training indoors for the last six weeks. But yeah. then I, I can all, you can also argue that for ATL as well because they were pretty sluggish well, at the same time. And... Is, I mean, historically, like, obviously the Arrows do have to train indoors. And, like, historically now they're they're one in four in season openers. Yeah. In, in the history of uh, their season or the, yeah. of the franchise, right? Yeah. So, to me, it's got yeah. me thinking that with the announcement of uh, Miami joining MLR. Maybe now's the time to like, you know, the background staff to get in contact with them and say like, hey, if the season's starting on this date, how about we do our final preseason uh, against each other in Miami, and you know, the arrows can stay there for like two weeks like, just to like warm up essentially like and travel costs and yeah. stuff though, right? That's why like most of the preseason games are all against teams that are close to each other. I get that, but at the same time, I think obviously being in like a warmer climate can and getting you outdoors instead of being in a go to Langford. Yeah, they well they have the bubble as well. That's what I mean. As in the the whole any use of the bubble just it's again making the most of the of the climate that you can use right now outdoors. BC's playing rugby right now, like outdoors. You can go play in BC pretty much year round. That's why. Yeah, think. that's why they say that the arrows can like strengthen their even rugby calendar roots and um ties and just uh do a training camp over in uh Langford. And yeah. I mean, it's probably go. a slight overthinking of like they're out training inside or outside because I mean, imagine they're not the only team that has to train inside in the winter, right? So that is true, but it doesn't the only team that has to do it. Um, yeah, it seems like the northern teams have had a bit of a more difficult time. Then again, I'd say that the next game, the Free Jacks also yeah. stormed all over Nola. So, yeah, yeah that puts a... we're, we're playing. We're playing in New York next yeah. week too. Like it's yeah. it's fine. You can you can play rugby in the cold. Um, you can. Um, I will say as well is that I think that one of the things that became very clear. So I mentioned before of how um, more Mohan and White's tries for Atlanta came from like open play and capitalizing on. Uh, basically using the space that's available with like kicks ahead and essentially as soon as as soon as Shane O'Leary came onto the pitch and there were two kickers for the arrows that's when 
their attacking plan opened up and we were yeah. able to get Richardson over for a try. Malcolm very close to getting a try himself, but having to settle for a penalty. But what? I think, but th- but this, it's something I've mentioned in the past, like, and you know, anyone who follows Squidge Rugby has seen his video on the importance of kicking in the yeah. modern game, and therefore having the certainty of two players uh, with that kicking ability to therefore open up the attack to like snipe through defensive lines and because. The Arrows have signed something like impressive wingers, impressive centers as well. And if you can utilize that, yeah. then, you know, tries should be flooding in. No yeah. problem. Um, uh, it, I'd also like to see, I know like Ross Brody did a load of box kicks uh, for this game as well, as he does again uh, for, not against, for Rugby Canada as yeah. well. Um, but yeah, if you can have Brody, um, Malcolm and O'Leary as kicking threats, then the arrows attack suddenly turns on and it's suddenly three times harder for teams to defend against you if you're just like exposing spaces and getting players over. And, you know, it's an option. And obviously as the season progresses, we'll see how that comes along. But yeah, O'Leary and Malcolm combination definitely reminds me of uh, their 2020 unstoppable run for the start of the season. <laughs> yeah, it, it could only get stopped by a global pandemic. Yeah, that was so. I wrote an article on our new LaRougeRugby.ca website um, that you can go check out. New Arrows blog called the Black Box um, mm-hmm. that uh, you know people seem to be enjoying right uh, so far. So being getting some nice positive feedback on that, which is lovely to hear. So I wrote on that that my first thought after the game was. Should the arrows try O'Leary at 10 and Malcolm at fly half next week? Um, basically, because uh, as you just kind of alluded to, Stu, the change in the attack um was noticeable. And you know, I got I got one I saw one comment on Reddit that was saying that like they didn't think that Malcolm played poorly enough to get bumped, and I don't think this is about if guys played poorly or not. Yeah. Um. It's, I think I'm looking at it as, because I, I don't think Malcolm played poorly. I don't think uh, Kieran Breen played poorly either. Who's going to be the other guy that gets shift around in this. Um. But it's like, I think it's about trying to find, because as we kind of mentioned here, um, we, or we didn't mention it yet, but when you see that arrows lineup that they put out, there's 11 guys making their arrows debut. Right. Yeah. Which is wild, and only three of them have played in the MLR before, right? So that it's a, it's a very new squad. It's a uh, um. There's an awesome video. Brian Ray did a season preview video for uh, um America's Rugby News. It's up on uh, Ray's Rugby YouTube channel, and he like talks about the roster transactions, but he has like a board behind him. And he's yeah. like pulling names down, and at the end of his like, who the guys that have left the team, and it's like it looks so bare, like it doesn't really stick with you how many new players are on this team until you see the actual vis- visualization. Um, so I thought that was a really cool video, but there's a lot of new players on this team, so there's part of that like cohesion. As you kind of said, it seems that some of the attacking errors may have been just a cohesion kind of yeah. issue, which is it's a new team. Or a very, very new team, or at least a lot newer than we're used to. So the arrows usually don't have this much turnover. 
So it's it's a bit of a new team. Um, but I think also part of that is going to be, um, you know, the Arrows coaching staff is going to have to, is also going to have to, there's so many guys that can play multiple positions that it's like you have to figure mm-hmm. out what's going to be the most effective way to deploy the guys that you have available to you. Yeah. And I think in seeing O'Leary and Malcolm at the 10, uh, O'Leary at 10 and Malcolm at 15 after O'Leary came on, like I feel like the attack was like to me it looked noticeably better. Um yeah. it looked faster. And then obviously they scored the try. I thought through the most of this game, the attack was very like stagnant, wasn't really going anywhere. I like said they maybe they generated maybe a couple off. They got a couple penalties, which gave them opportunities for lineouts that were close by that didn't necessarily work out. Those were probably the biggest scoring opportunities. There was a dropped ball that looked like it could have led to a try as well. But for the most part, it was pretty like like Atlanta had it shut down. Like whatever the arrows were trying, Atlanta had it shut down, and that's to their credit. There, yeah. was, that, there was that stretch of play around the 56th minute of the game as well where the arrows – Sam um, Reese puts up a box kick, and Malcolm gathers the ball out around the – Atlanta 10 meter line and like 20 phases later. So good ball retention, good patience. You're trying to open something up. It's not there. 20 plus phases later, there Richardson tries a pass. That's almost intercepted by Talapusi, but he drops it. Um, yeah. So it goes for the, they go for the scrum and that scrums like five meters behind where they started 20 phases ago. Like yeah. Atlanta's defense to their credit, unreal line speed and they made their tackles. They didn't miss very many tackles, which is like two things that you really want your defense to be. But as O'Leary demonstrated, one of the best ways to get around great line speed is to go over the line. Yeah. And that, that worked out really well. And I think like, as you said, right, I think O'Leary and Malcolm to me gives you two, especially with Malcolm's ability to play fly half as well, which obviously he's a great fly half, right? Yeah. It gives you two unreal playmaking options in your back line. So you can do things like the like the try scoring play, right? Which if you look at the way like Atlanta's D is set up, right? They kind of got most of their guys up near the line and they got Talapusi back. But if you watch that play, because they have the scrum that's kind of in the middle of the field. So they do like the split backs and stuff, mm. right? So you got O'Leary on one side with um, Richardson and Breen. And then on to the right of the scrum was Malcolm and Goodall on the other side. And when Cole Brown comes out of that scrum, he goes towards Malcolm, right? Which if you watch the Atlanta scrum half comes off and follows Brown, probably should be doing. But the first like three or four Atlanta forwards that break off of the scrum all go over to Malcolm's side. So yeah. nobody goes over to O'Leary's side because you have to respect the fact that Sam Malcolm's about to get the ball. Yeah. Right? And then switches that, and there's nobody really covering that side anymore. Yeah. Kicks it over. The chase is on. Talapusi. I'm not really sure what Talapusi did, to be honest with you, because he's off the screen. Yeah. For pretty much the whole play. So he's either lined up pretty out of position and the arrow spotted that, or he bit really hard on that fake. Cause yeah. when he finally comes on the screen, he's booking it across the field. Like he's doing his best to, yeah. to try to get over there, but um, he's doing his best to try to get over there. 
but it's way too late. And like, this yeah. is already the only question is if Breen was going to gather the ball. That was the only question on this try. Um, so it's an unreal play. And they kept kind of doing that by having O'Leary and Malcolm with those two attacking options. Yeah. And I don't know. I think, I think I would like to, like, we saw it for, as you mentioned, as you mentioned, so they didn't score a point until the 76th minute of this game. Yeah. Um, right. And then came away with a bonus point, fortunately. But the attack in the final 10 minutes when O'Leary came on was a lot more dynamic. There was a lot more options, and Atlanta was having a much harder time defending it because for the most of the game, like they were, Atlanta's defense lived up to the billing of their defense is. Yeah. Um, and they shut down the arrows attack completely. Um, so, I mean, I think, I think I would, I don't know. I like, what do you, would you try? Oh, I think you, uh, I would try O'Leary 10, Malcolm 15 for, I, at least try it for a game. Yeah. Like, I well, think, and I think early in the season's the time to do that. Yeah. And also you have to consider who you're playing against. So you're yeah. New York defending champions at home. And they said last season that when they were at um, Hoboken, because their field was so narrow, they couldn't utilize their attack. That's how they were so devastating when they were on away games because other yeah, New York teams had... Here. Yeah. That's going to change okay. this year, though. Yeah, exactly. So now they're at a... Uh, and, you know, they've done a lot of player retention, whether that's uh, players sticking around for another year or moving into yeah. uh, coaching roles. So you have to think that, oh, they're going to still be doing the same thing again. You know, Ed Fidow, um, you know, he's going to be lining up. He wants to get that uh, top try scorer again for a second year in a row. Um, yeah. And if you have... And if you have two kicking options in O'Leary and Malcolm, you know, because uh, New York's ball is about playing it wide and getting it out, if you can yeah. turn that around and make that a negative against them, and then if it's a case of, say, uh, Malcolm... So, yeah, Malcolm's at fullback, O'Leary's at uh, fly half. Malcolm still does all the kicking and stuff. And then... You say like, okay, Breen will come in for O'Leary, and Malcolm switches to ten. Breen comes O'Leary, in. O'Leary, O'Leary did like the kicking for territory off penalties, and then Malcolm yeah. the like kick at goal penalty. So they yeah. were kind of they were sharing that duty too. Exactly, but. and uh, but it's it like it reminds me of um, twenty twenty again when yeah, Taylor that, Adams was Taylor Adam, uh, yeah, fly off, and well. Malcolm was fullback yeah. because outside of. MLR, Malcolm has primarily played at fullback in his like career in New Zealand. And you know, he obviously has like the kicking duties as well, and he can switch between uh, 10 and 15. And as proven last year, if he needs be, can drop in at scrum half as well. So I mean you know, man, thing- man of many talents is that yeah. Sam Malcolm. But that's what I mean though. It's like looking at this team, you have a couple options. Like a guy like Good Goodall can play center too. He was on the wing for this game. Nice numberless jersey um yeah. for his debut. Right. So like he can play like Nick Ben. Um, you know, hopefully he's um gonna be able to be uh recovered soon. But that's another yeah. guy that can play center, can play wing. Like you have like there's players on the team. Connor Breen played fullback and wing in this game as well. Like there's yeah. there's guys in the backs that can play multiple positions, right? So there might yeah. be a little bit. Um, as we said, with all the new 
players that are there there might be it might be worth a little experimentation right yeah um, i mean ideally you want to have a center that's as fast as a winger and a winger that's as strong as a center and then you can just move those guys around wherever yeah, you, you want. want and yeah, you the want role, clone, results are still positive. Yeah, exactly. You want to clone Jonah Lomu and uh, yeah. <laughs> let them run wild. Yeah, so I, I don't know. I thought that... I, I I mean, I think it's worth exploring. I mean, the rest of the backs, I mean, I thought, like, Tassie had some nice carries. Um, He's, you know, seems like he's going to be a, a hard running style. Like we said, though, another guy that I feel like joined the team really, uh, like, really recently. So maybe a little bit of you know, got to work on the, uh, like, I don't want to necessarily want to say that, the chemistry, the chemistry, got to work on yeah, that. I think. What did you think of the I formation? That was fun. That was, that was, it was fun. It didn't work. Yeah. That, but it was that, fun. yeah it, well, you know, like you said, the first game of the season yeah. and, uh, you know, you got to see how it works, but I think, um, that was, yeah, I think I, the, have you ever seen that before? I don't think I I've have. Never it, it's seen one of the things it. of like, this yeah. is new and yet familiar all at the same time. Well, it's cause like, I think well, I think like the the commentary crew yeah. immediately uh called it like the I formation because mm. it's like that's it does resemble the like in football, there's a mm. thing called the I formation, which is you have a fullback and a running back standing directly behind the quarterback. Yeah. Um, right. So I like that's the only thing that I could kind of think of what it looked like, um, which I guess is why we're all calling it the I formation. It's not like yeah. the arrows like came out and be like, this is what we call it. But I feel like that's maybe the familiarity for it. It's just like I've seen this in football. Like I kind of like I feel like I know sort of what this is. It's it, it's kind of unfortunate that it didn't it didn't really work out because I'm like, I, I would be curious to see if they try that again. Um, yeah. They did the, after the after they used it the one time they didn't use it again for the rest of the game. So I'm curious to see how often that comes out or if we're going to see anything other that's anything else that's kind of unique um so i mean i think that's that's interesting but i mean i wouldn't mind seeing it again it's if yeah. you probably can't tell if it's going to work on one play attempt that play ended on a knock-on too i believe i don't think it was yeah. just an atlanta turnover i guess it didn't really work speaking of the squad speaking of the forward pack o'donnell simonton salmon you know, we got all these. Um, well, Salmon is obviously known to the Arrows faithful, but O'Donnell Simonton, fully um, international front row. Uh, Flesh being the utility forward that he is, yeah. coming in as lock uh, against Torrance Reed. The back row of Larson, Rumble, and Thomas. Rumble obviously doing really well because he was featured in the MLR. Uh, fifteen of the week. Yeah. He's the best player in the league. Like I'm, I'm still not coming down off of this, no. this statement. Yeah, yeah, no. Well, I mean, clearly he's uh, yeah, if he's picked up by the as the best seven in all of MLR across the weekend, then you know, yeah. you're not wrong. Also, uh, Jack McRogers, Alani Faleva, Tyler Rowland coming in as the uh second front row. Um, mm-hmm. Faleva obviously. You know, popular Mark. with the uh, Arrows fans that it is, but you know, making a big impact off the start bench him as well. Too. I will, like that was the other guy watching this game. I'm like, start him next week. I think. Yeah, I've, I think he has mainly be, been utilized as a um, he has like power finisher. Yeah, he so, has, hasn't he? But yeah, uh, uh, but I, but yeah, he has started games last year as well. So obviously, carry over. Um, as you mentioned, Shane O'Leary, Cole Brown as well, stepping in for, as a scrum half. Uh, Wadden and Shepard then coming on for Flesh and Torrance Reed. 
Um, Fabian Goodall, obviously, um, well done for him to come on earlier in the game than initially planned. And yeah, hoping that uh, the injuries to Ben uh, isn't too severe and as well as Simington as well. So uh, when, you start, when you started this, I thought you were going to go into like what you thought of uh, what you thought of how the pack performed in this game set piece and then maybe an open play as well yeah i think the set uh it's basically a different year same result when it comes to line outs i i don't know what it is that the arrows are doing but it's it's still not clicking together it was it was good after the first 10 minutes yeah but, but the fact that the, the, the fact there were three line outs in the first 10 minutes as well but yeah the the first obviously. the first te- yeah i think the pack or at least the set piece i think got off to a really rough start in this game yeah. so i mean yeah flesh flesh got the first line out and then they lost the next three yeah um with that was momson had a steal then i think thomas had a drop that ended up on the atl side and then atl just took the ball and did whatever they did with it, I don't remember. Yeah, um, and then there was an obstruction call too, on yeah. one, which yeah, I'm not I, sure if there was. Does an obstruction call count as a lost lineout, or is that a penalty after the lineout? I how does that actually get recorded? I that's the, I've tried to look back on that obstruction call, and because there's so few angles used, it's, it's not it's not like when Canada at the World Cup last year in New Zealand was they started doing the drive and um, the USA didn't engage. So therefore, it's not a Court- mall. So Makaya but- Torrance Reed is in front of Corey Thomas when he lands. That's what it was. Yeah. I- yeah, that's what it was. I know. that's. I, th- I think that's like a very, like, that's a razor edge call to make, in my opinion. But, <sighs> I mean, that that's what the ref did, so... Come yeah, on. so you have you have those three lines, and then the first scrum the, that the arrows have the feed on, Atlanta wins it. Um, yeah, that was a rough rough start for the set piece. Yeah, um, but they did they did get it. Like after I don't know I don't know what was going on in the first ten minutes, um, but which which is unfortunate because especially since two of those lineouts were in really as you mentioned were in really good scoring opportunities. They were like five, 10 meters out from the Atlanta try line. So like two early scoring opportunities, the arrows ended up leaving points on the board. Um, obviously that could be a big momentum shifter for a game too. Yeah. But I think, I think after that first 10 minutes though, like the line out did get a lot better. Um, it kind of, everybody seemed to kind of settle down. Flesh and Thomas had a fair number of line out takes too. defending the mall. They were really good. Micah, uh, Micaiah Torrance Reed and Mason Flesh did a pretty good job defending the line outs mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Flesh had one really nice, uh, that one really nice, just straight up steal in the line out too. It was great. Um, they started winning some scrum penalties of their own. Uh, Gene Simonton definitely making sure at the Atlanta front row knew that they uh, gave up a penalty <laughs> on a couple scrums. Yeah, uh, which I definitely, I definitely love to see. So I, I like that they were able to kind of bounce back on that. Um, I still think, you know, despite, I feel like almost like despite the changes and stuff that still come in, um, the back row is still one of the best parts of the team. Um, and even with the changes in that personnel that came in, um. Like Travis Larson, Lucas Rumble, and Corey Thomas were all great 
making tackles, hitting rucks, um, rumble with the you know the MLR season doesn't officially start until Rumble has a breakdown steal, mm-hmm. right? So um, it was nice to see him get back to that. Um, Torrance Reed also had a, a handful of like really great tackles and stuff too. There's definitely there's there's obviously like mistakes made in this game and like the attack not really being able to generate much for the first 70 minutes of the game is is a concern um you know doesn't bode well for dan's prediction of the arrows being the uh the highest scoring team in the league from last week Um, not off to the best start um i think it's like looking at it and stuff there's there's definitely things to be like a little concerned about um yeah like i said it's like i think the set piece got a lot better as the game went on I would mm-hmm. still rather not turn the ball over five meters up from the try line um, early in the game, but it did get better. Um, the handling errors and stuff like that, I think, is things that can all be fixed. I do think there, but there might be, but I think, like I think, O'Leary at ten, Malcolm fifteen could lead to a more dynamic looking attack, which yeah. will probably be needed against New York, especially like. We all, I mean, they lost this week too, but we all know yeah. how dangerous New York's wingers and stuff can be, right? Um, and if they're going to play that kind of kicking style game, mm-hmm. um, yeah. that's uh, that's what it's going to be. Um, also, you got to go shout out to the other side in this game as well. Rugby ATL um, had uh, Canadians Jack Shaw and Seth Purdy making their MLR debuts in this game. Jack Shaw uh, got the start on the wing, played played most of the game um was really almost he uh almost set up a try for uh for rugby ATL but Austin White yeah. uh knocked it on in yeah. the build up but um so like he looked pretty good Seth Purdy came on really late in the game but um still a debut so um you know that's that's exciting too unfortunate that Heaton and Barton didn't play in this one but uh, Atlanta still got some uh, some of the exciting Canadian talent there two guys that they drafted um, Purdy was fourth overall. Um, I think Shaw was somewhere in the second round. I can't remember exactly where he went right now. Uh, but yeah, no, that was exciting to kind of see, especially for Shaw. Shaw played the whole game and actually made a made a bit of an impact. So um, that was uh, that was always nice. That's nice to see some uh, a couple Canadian guys getting their MLR debuts as well. Yeah, yeah. Well, that next game against New York, which will be coming up this uh, Sunday. 3 p.m. on Eastern Standard Time, and it has been announced that this game will be on TSN4 as well as TSN.ca and TSN Plus. So make sure you have your clocks at the right time. Get ready to go. Remember that 3 p.m. Uh, 3 p.m. Eastern Time this Sunday. <laughs> All right. So that wasn't the only MLR game this weekend. In fact, an hour after kickoff was the second one. This was Nola. Uh, versus New England. A lot of Eastern clashes going on in the uh, opening Friday. Mm-hmm. Uh, Nola, New England, and uh, well, New England have the second most Canadians in uh, MLR after the Arrows. So, of course, they clearly won this game. Uh, <laughs> they them also scored, but, had uh, last names on the back of the jersey, which I'm very certain also contributed to the fact that they won this game. They did. However, uh, was the fact that they put last names on the back of the jersey canceled out by the fact that you couldn't read the numbers? Yes. 
Yeah, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. New England's numbers stink. Like I like yeah. they, I don't know what else to they need to I like I mean, I know they have a handful of different jerseys they can wear. I hope they ch- do something to change that. Yeah. So well, anyway. Uh yeah, you know, five tries. Uh Poland, the only player in MLR to have scored more than one try at uh, the time of recording for the 2023 season. But yeah, Nola um, only able to score their points in the first half uh, with it uh, all 12. Uh, two tries, one conversion. Uh, New England, on the other hand, five tries, getting the full five uh, points from the win and the try bonus point. Um, two of which were under the sticks, which was Potros's and Poland's first try. Uh, two conversions for Potros, uh, for San Arivis and uh, Wilson's try. And then John Poland um, getting his second try in the second half uh, with only one penalty out of two opportunities scored. So, you know, still five points missed off the board for New England. So not the not a perfect game, but, you know, same with Atlanta, you know, just got to get that um, kicking under under control. Then again, if you score between the sticks, you don't have to worry about the kick. So... <laughs> Make do with what you can. Um, yeah, a bit disappointing that uh, with all those arrow, with all the I was going to say, all those arrows. Oh, sorry, okay. all those former arrows, all those Canadians, uh, unable to get points up. Of course, uh, Ben Lesage is listed as injured. Uh, Spencer Jones played for the entire duration. Phenomenal hair now. Yeah, phenomenal yeah. hair now. Just that's the yeah New England as a team too. Just phenomenal hair yeah. across the board there. Yeah, see, this is what Nola needs to do. You've only got Eric Howard, and you only gave him 20 minutes. you got to get more Canadians. you got to get them playing the entire 80 minutes, and then you're going to win games. Um, that that's the, You're going to at least get match points. I think, that's, I think that's a fair scientific deduction that is available for everyone. Anyway, anyway, moving on to the Saturday games now, and we have the debut oh, of we gotta the... go to uh New England too. Big thing there, Cole Keith back at tight head. It's big. Oh yes, of course, Cole, Cole Keith tight head. Yeah, Cole so Keith that's... get back at tight head. You know, seeing um, you know, it's gonna be interesting to see if that actually carries over to the Canadian national team. I hope it does. I really hope it does as well. I hope it does too. I actually, I, I feel like I like. I feel like I like him better on the the tight head side. I know I know it doesn't necessarily change a whole lot when he's like when you're in like open play, but yeah. Um I think the scrum like New England scrum looks pretty good in this game too. Yeah. Um so like that scrum's there. I want to see them break out the uh the all Canadian front row at some point though. Yeah. So, uh, that would be that'd be a cool thing to do. Um and Josh Larson had a, you know, started the season too. He's also on the team of the week. Because he's yeah. a monster, just a monster of a human. Absolutely. Anyway, uh, from that tangent, back to uh, Saturday games where we have the Hounds debut. And, uh, you know, we've had a few teams now, I guess, which have had their debuts across the years. Obviously, um, you know, the Arrows can attest to this. Sometimes you don't always win your first game. But uh, goodness, conceding a try that quickly. That is. Yeah, uh, that was insane. That was that insane. Was insane. Um, I like the uh, the video that the MLR has up on their website. That's like, oh, the first like kickoff in uh, Chicago Hounds history. The video's like lo- it, like it's short enough that the try is in the video, which is a shame for yeah. Chicago Hounds history, I guess. 
Yeah. Well, uh, obviously not a good start for Chicago. Great start for DC, who were able to get uh, two tries um, before Chicago got their first. So uh, Gross, as we mentioned, was able to get that try within like the first minute. Uh, Bravaro able to get in the 17th before Thornton was able to become the first Hounds player to score a try for their team in MLR games. Um, yeah, I think, uh, you know, obviously, if we're talking about new players with the Arrows being a new team entirely, and I think a lot of the talk of like, oh, it's the two highest scoring teams from last year, a lot of their players coming into this new team, and you think they're going to be like a rugby powerhouse. But, you know, it didn't really seem to materialize. There obviously were opportunities, like Luke White, uh, another player who made the MLR 15 of the week, scoring a try in the 68th minute. Um, yeah, as in, well, DC had already gotten the bon- the try bonus point before half time with uh, DC further tries unreal. from Sushan and Sao before uh, part-time coach and full-time player um, Baker was able to get over at the start of the second half. And to be honest, when... If you're the team that's already leading and you score a try at the start of the second half, that just kind of kills any yeah. momentum the other team has. So, But then again, uh, Charlie Abel was able to get uh, the try for Chicago in the 49th minute before uh, last year's DC captain, Danny Tusatala, was able to go over uh, just before the second hydration break. And then Luke White, what, as I mentioned, was the uh, last player to uh, score for both teams getting that try with Luke Carty being pretty decent from the boot, getting uh, two conversions and two penalties with Abel's uh, being under the post, so therefore not needing a kick. But yeah, uh, Bochamp uh, getting a yellow card obviously didn't help in the uh, 32nd minute, which obviously helped lead to Saru's try. Two um, tries. Fun. It's two tries. Oh, yeah, but I'm saying Saru's try and then, well, Sushan first and then Saru's try. So yeah. technically we're both right. Um, <laughs> but interesting that this game is uh, two teams that are now going to be on a bye this week. DC and Chicago going to take some time to recover. Obviously, Chicago looking to check that um, Carty will be fit um, when they play their home opener uh, next weekend at SeatGeek Stadium. That'll be the first time. Um, any team will uh, play it at SeatGeek um, because the round after that, I believe, that is when the Arrows go to Chicago. Yeah. So, yeah, uh, give, giving Chicago a little time to uh, you know, dust off the cobwebs. Toronto's got back to back games against the uh, teams in new stadiums. So, they got New York next week and then Chicago after. Yeah. Huh. So, I didn't, Tr- I didn't know. that. breaking in all the new stadiums. Yeah, well, you know, you got we got to make sure they're right, and uh, you know, I, I think the best way to break in is to demolish the home team and be like, "Hey, uh, life sucks." There you go. Uh, okay, <laughs> yeah. now let's let's also, talk on to literally hey, the big. The... Howie Martinez, another player, Canadian player, MLR debut. Yeah, yeah. Cali. Congratulations to Cali as well. Like I said, we're talking about like the big news, the big game, and this is definitely the big game because um, for the first time. Uh, an MLR game has passed the 10,000 attendance mark, and it's also the first game that isn't a final um, or a preseason fixture at a different stadium because San Diego at the brand new Snapdragon Stadium 
had a record crowd of 11,423. And watching on TV, Snapdragon Stadium looks amazing. Unreal. Absolutely. Fan- yeah. I mean, it obviously helps Unreal. that it's a stadium that is designed for television broadcast as well. So you have, um, it's also the fact that the lines are painted solely for rugby. There's no like faded out soccer lines or football lines yeah. as uh, the uh, I-45 feud would <laughs> attest to. But uh, no, it, it just looks so good. I mean, if you've been watching any of the um, American football that's been happening in San Diego at the end of last year, um, you already know this. But yeah, it's so good to watch. And, you know, it was only the lower bowl that was open and you could still see that there were like seats available. They, But I've, I've got to give credit to the San Diego like marketing team because they're on it. They are getting it done. And they've already sold 9,000 tickets for this game against New England that's coming up really? this weekend. Wow. Yeah. Phenomenal. Um, yeah, I think like, I mean, this is a great game to watch. Yeah. So, you know, good for those 11,000 people to 11,000 plus to uh, get out because this was a this was a solid game. San Diego looks very scary, by the way. Mm. Um, but like, yeah, it's probably the the best looking stadium in the mlr at least from on tv obviously i haven't been there um but like on tv it's the best it's easily the best looking stadium now um also like really helped by the fact that there was eleven thousand people though because it looked full but also helped by like the stadiums like helping themselves too because it's like that upper bowl instead of being empty seats was like covered with like you know like a san diego legion logo and like Mm -hmm. all like that stuff so it's like it looks full when you see it on TV and when the camera's trying to follow like, you know, a a box kick that goes up high or whatever. And like the camera follows that, then you just, you don't see empty seats. You see like a sent giant San Diego Legion, which is also great. So yeah, that was phenomenal. Um, The Jersey matchup wasn't the best. I must say. (laughs) Um, But that's we'll figure we'll sort that out later. Yeah, yeah. We were saying earlier about like how maybe we're the green one, San Diego. Next to next time, each other. Yeah, as now I've seen like Utah's journey jersey in play. It it looks horrible. It's I don't think so, it looks horrible. It's just I, it I don't I don't like that the front is white team. and the back is red, especially when you're playing another team in which yeah. the jersey is a mix of, was, uh, of yeah. black and red. It, it was weird because it was like San Diego's jersey didn't have enough black on it, and like Utah's jersey didn't have enough white on it. Like yeah. you can tell them apart, and I'm sure they're they're definitely different enough. I feel like if you were playing, you yeah. could tell them apart pretty easily, um, but. It was like, yeah, it was like on TV. There's certain angles where it's like all you see is red jerseys. Um, yeah. But that's that's besides the point, though. But um, the game itself, though, too, like um, San Diego looks very good. Um, yeah. To your point, Stu, Utah had no Canadians in the lineup. I wonder why they lost. Yeah, um, absolutely. But like, yeah, San Diego, San Diego's back line, terrifying. Um, mm-hmm. They looked so good. Uh, Ma Nanu looks maybe the best he's ever looked in the MLR right now. Um, in uh, in in the first game, I don't like if they get that going. San Diego could be a very scary team in the Western Conference. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, you know, Justice Sears Duru made his uh, his even further than South 
Southern. Uh, he made a San Diego Legion debut. I was trying to make a joke about Southern California, but Los Angeles is also in Southern California. Well, well, that's the thing. He's he's spent his entire MLR career on the Pacific Coast, so he's just yeah. going down all those. Just, yeah, he's just slowly going further south. Yeah. Once Mexico City get their team, that's where he'll be headed. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, as in, um, yep. so San Diego, San Diego able to get there bonus point before the second hydration break. Utah unable to um, clinch it at the end to get a, at least a try bonus point. Yeah. Uh, through, um, just a really strange uh, ending of that match. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I think again, Utah will be disappointed. Uh, San Diego thrilled. The fans ecstatic, and you know. I know, like, the current um, record that we have for uh, MLR games is the 2021 final, which I think was, like, 9,000, and the preseason game between, I think it was, like, Austin and Utah yeah, at a giant state, which was over 9,000. But, you know, if for with a stadium that nice, San Diego can, like, get the top oh. 10 attendance records for however long it needs to be. That is a beautiful stadium and they're very lucky to have it as their home. I think another part of that too, though, is like realistically, if you look at the big five major sports in North America, San Diego only has a baseball team. If you look at everybody's like across major league, they have a, they have a team in the national lacrosse league as well, but that doesn't fall into the big five anyways. Yeah. Um, that's probably closer to a major league rugby team really. Um, but yeah, they, they like, they don't have an NFL team anymore. No, they don't have an NHL team. They don't have a basketball team. Right. So it's like, that's a, seems like a market that, you know, if, as you said, the marketing team looks like they're doing a hell of a job and that like, that's a market that, you know, maybe if you, if like, you know, they they can maybe put together a few wins, build some excitement around the team. Um, they have obviously a handful of really marketable players, a lot of USA Eagles, and then obviously for the like you know for uh, people that have come in with a previous knowledge of rugby, they have one of the greatest players of all time in Ma Nanu as well, right? Mm-hmm. So there's a lot that they can do with like as far as players and being able to market them, um, and uh, you know they're probably the them in Utah might be the two MLR cities that are like, there's not a whole lot else like around them as far as like major professional sports. Yeah. So it's um, uh, like, you know, that's, that's a, uh, that probably is a market that we should all definitely be keeping an eye on because that's incredible to do that in their first game. And you said they already sold 9,000 tickets. I hadn't heard that, but that's incredible too. Yeah, uh, and just that uh, the current tenants of uh, Snapdragon are the San Diego State Aztecs, which is their football sure. team, and San Diego Wave, which is um, the National Women's Soccer League yeah. team, who are well by having. So you have two other teams. I'm just checking the NWSL league begins. Uh, not entirely sure, but. Uh, it says runs from February to October, but uh, uh, yeah, yeah. And either way, I'm not in. T- so obviously, not 100 percent sure, but it doesn't seem as though there's going to be any clashes with yeah. um, them. Well, they don't, they don't have an XFL team either. I can't remember who's in the XFL. 
I can never Which version? Because are, everyone only seems to be lasting right one now, season, and then the one, I don't. I don't care about what team he hate me played for twenty years ago. <laughs> uh, well, interesting. The XFL has um, Arlington, Houston, Orlando, San Antonio, DC, Seattle, uh, St. Louis, and Nevada. But it seems that all the players are located in. Yeah, Dallas, camp thing, yeah. Uh, okay, so a couple MLR cities there, but um, obviously Dallas is one. We'll get to that that game soon. But um, a uh, yeah. So San Diego is like, I mean, ultimately, it's like there's not at least from an I, I don't live in San Diego, but it doesn't like they don't have a lot of major sports teams there. So um, yeah. perhaps an opening for the San Diego Legion in a, yeah. a position that looks phenomenal because they've been waiting for a stadium for a while. They've played some yeah. interesting setups over the years. Yeah, I, I absolutely get that. Man. Yeah, it's in, good for them and yeah. they're utilizing it well. So excellent. Yeah, um, all right. So we move from uh, Southern California up the north, staying on the Pacific as we have the MLR Championship game revenge match as Seattle hosted New York to close out the Saturday. Um, yeah, this is a game that you could start by saying, oh, it's for the purists. It's for the purists because <laughs> it was only penalties yeah. to go with. Of um, Typical Sam Windsor game. Yeah, Jay, yeah Windsor, Jay for Seattle. Uh, yeah, yeah, a lot um, of penalties in this game. Yeah, um, you know, Mr. Tri-Scorer, Ed Finnow getting on that board, trying to get his uh, tally started early. Um, as for Seattle, it was uh, Che at the boot, getting six from six for his penalties that gave them uh, an 18 points, and that was before Matthews was able to get a try three minutes before the death and under the post. Uh, New York, uh, this is this is the part where we have to mention the Canadians because oh, Mr. Co, tis, 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 getting a yellow card in the 64th minute. And yeah, um, from that point, uh, obviously led to Chase's penalty. And then within the time frame, uh, Chase able to get another penalty. Thankfully, no tries conceded, but yeah, dis- uh, disappointing, Andrew, wagging my finger at you. <laughs> Uh, Quinn Nawadi able to get in for 14 minutes, replacing Triscorer Fida. Uh, and for Seattle, we had Nakai Penny coming on for Ronan Foley in the 33rd minute. Foley taking a bit of a knock, but uh, hopefully he'll be okay. It's great to see Penny back as well because I believe he got injured towards uh, the end of last season, so that put him on yeah. the bench for a long time. Um, yeah, disappoint. Obviously, as an Arrows fan, disappointing to see. First of all, Foley in uh, Seattle colors, but also yeah. seeing him go off injured as well. Um, yeah, pretty bruising encounter. But you know, a lot of pride on the line, and especially when it had been the start of the season, you want uh, to get it off well. This also marks, I think, it's like the second year in a row in which the defending champions lose their first game. <laughs> it's true. Uh, yeah. It is true. Um, Nakai Penny struts. played. Yeah, Nakai Penny played great in this game too. He had thirteen. Well, well it's Nakai Penny. What do you expect? Yeah, exactly right. Um, yeah, yeah. So was, he's great. Uh, Andrew Coe, despite uh, you know, despite that yellow card, had one hundred and thirty-five meters, and uh, you know, yeah. he also looked. He also looked really good. Um, 
you can't get too mad at that yellow car. That's an intercept attempt. It's just yeah. You know, it's it's tough because it's like if you bat it down with one hand, it's yeah. uh it's gonna get called every time. But if you yeah. one handed catch that, it's try of the it's week. It's amazing. It's try well, of the week. Well, that's the if if you ever think you can go for the ball, always try and show both yeah. hands. The and then interesting it... thing though, speaking of like so lineup in yeah. Key, um not that thing. We'll get to that thing in a second. Okay. But AJ Alatimu, one of their like best players from last year, starting on the bench mm-hmm. um, with Jordan Shade starting hmm. and um, showing perhaps why that decision was made in this game. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, you can't argue with the results. Yeah, up until I mean, up until Matthews scored his try, like, like, like I mean, even even like Matthews try aside, like they were like three minutes away from beating New York just by kicking penalties. Yeah, um, Chate was Chate was incredible. Um, off the boot, and he was good in play too. But yeah, so that's that's kind of an interesting uh interesting thing to keep an eye on with uh with Seattle's lineup too. Yeah, a few other interesting things to look at on Seattle's lineup as well. Yeah, Seattle's and New York's uh, and New York's lineup. Yeah. Because so, I was a formerly a Seattle player as well. Yeah, that is. But uh, it appears as that both uh, Rugby New York Ironworkers and the Seattle Seawolves have the benefit of an extra import player in 2023 with uh, New York um, player Brad Tucker and Seawolves player J.P. Smith have been granted exemptions that will see them considered domestic players this season despite neither being eligible for the Eagles. And this seems to have stemmed from the previous um, time limit for residency. So if a player has been residing in a different country um, for five years, effective of January the 1st, 2022, that means that they will be qualified to play for the new nation of that they currently live in. Yeah. The thing is, though, is that Tucker and Smith have not been living in the United States for five years. They've only been living it for four. However, the previous time length wasn't five years, but three years. So it meant that they yeah. qualify under the old rule to play for their adoptive nation. But they haven't. <laughs> so, and, and, yeah, and if you're confused, work. then join the club. So, and yeah. what further compounds this is that England, uh, England Rugby, recently sought clarification on the rule, and it falls under Regulation 8, because they wanted to get a Namibia under-20 prop, Patrick Schickling, under the premise, because he, he had lived in England for three years prior to uh, the cutoff date, as I said, January 1st, 2022. And World Rugby um, upheld the prior qualification from its executive committee that um, he needed to have played for England with that time frame because he hadn't. He now has to wait until um, the five-year mark. Right. So MLR have said that they are... So as it stands, Tucker and Smith will not be eligible to represent the Eagles until December of this year. Under MLR's normal standard, they should therefore be considered imports until the 2024 season, as they were in 2022, which seems fair. Uh, the decision to grant the exemption to the two players in 2020 
is more confusing as nothing has changed in terms. So you're reading that off of the I am, yes, I am America's reading this from News America's Rugby News. Yeah. Again, Brian Ray has done all the legwork on this. And if you want to read the full article, go to America's Rugby News. It's available there. It's actually part of that. It's incredible. Ups, it's a great ups and downs as well. It's stunningly it's confusing. It's a great article. And um uh, so Brian comments, when asked to comment on why this decision had been made, despite the fact that it appears to be in direct contradiction to MLR's existing policy and had not been applied last season, which would have made more sense, right? Uh, the MLR representative offered no explanation. One does wonder how much of an impact this had on recruitment efforts for New York and Seattle during the offseason, knowing they had, in effect, an, an extra import slot to play with in their match day rosters. And then he goes, and then he continues saying, uh, why MLR has made no effort to reveal this decision to the public is another mystery. And he goes on to mention the uh, communication issues with the disqualification of Austin and LA and yeah. their eventual disbandment. And mm-hmm. yeah, it's to me, it's not just MLR. I think rugby as a whole has a communication problem. Like things, think yeah. well. Exactly. Even in last year, we had a high performance review of Rugby Canada, which basically summarized as Rugby Canada does not communicate with anyone. Yeah. Um, See, that's not kind of the thing um, with this is I think like. I like the ruling itself, I find very perplexing and weird that they would grant two players just randomly, seemingly randomly. Yeah. Um, some like an exemption. Um, and you know, again, like phenomenal job from Brian Ray to uh to report this and stuff. But it it to me it's th- like if every MLR team for whatever reason that the owners or the other coaches or GMs or whoever had to make this call was if everybody in the league agrees to this, then yeah. so be it. If everyone, if like all the teams are on the same page, being like, "Yeah, they're fine with this," then so so be it. Whatever, um, that's fine. the The issue, the biggest issue that I have with, I mean, if those owners are like up, upset about it and just aren't saying anything, that's a different conversation. But to me, right now, the biggest issue is just that it's it is it's like the communication thing. Like, why? You know, teams are putting out their lineups and stuff, and it's like, why? Like, yeah, like, and even after Brian Ray's article, the MLR still hasn't officially said anything about this. We're recording this on Tuesday night. It's about nine o'clock or whatever. And it's like the MLR still hasn't said anything about it. Um, Right. Like officially, it's just all just it's just the work that Brian Ray's done. Right. And like the thing that also like it's just it's really annoying to that. Like they wouldn't announce that. Cause like, I feel like the MLR feels like it as a league, it's like every time it's like, they'll do, make so a lot of strides and do a lot of things that'll build up a lot of goodwill. And then they'll do something really weird yeah, um, for some reason. Right. And it's like, right now it's like, we were all just watching the first week, um, new graphics for like the lineup, some new commercials, a new theme, new intro, um, lots of stuff that looked really cool on like the production side of just being able to, as a person, being able to watch the game, as a fan, being able to watch the game. 
Um, you had like that production stuff all looked really cool. Um, getting like referee appointments are coming out publicly. Yeah. Well before the game now. Um, more stats are available. MLR has done a lot of really cool things this weekend. And yeah. like, and then, then they do this and it's like, it's weird. And like, I think the thing that, the thing that's annoys me the most about the, like the not communicating it is it's like, if you just come out, say a week ago, two weeks ago, a month ago, when all the teams are announcing signings and stuff, and you're just like, hey, by the way, these two players are giving being given an exemption and will be considered domestic players for this reason, right? And mm-hmm. like next year they're domestic anyways. But yeah. it's like, this is the reason. And like then you'd be like, okay, like and then we could debate whether or not you agree with the reason, but that's what it is. Um but like instead it's like it reminds me of the time it was like earlier in MLR where it's like they would do things like not announce suspensions. Yeah. And then we would just be like, okay, well, this player that got a red card in the last game hasn't isn't in the lineup next week. So he's obviously suspended. Yeah. Like, why not just say he's suspended? And it's like it kind of goes back to that. Cause I'm like, like, that's what I don't understand the most about the MLR's decision on this. Is it's like, did you think no one would notice? Like yeah. that Seattle had an extra foreign player in their lineup? Like, did you just think that that nobody would notice? Whether that's Brian Ray doing um some again some great work on this article or like just the fans in general or anybody else and like did you think no one would notice that Seattle's using an extra player? Yeah, but I just I just don't understand like that because it's like yeah like we notice like your your fan base is smart they're gonna notice that yeah. um so I'm like I don't I just don't get why they didn't. The, the the to be perfectly honest, the ruling doesn't bother me that much as if, as long as all the other teams and owners are on board with it, then whatever. I mean, all those other teams and owners, maybe they're looking for an opportunity to exploit a similar rule and get their own guys exempt or whatever, and maybe they're just being nice to Seattle and New York to open the door up for them to be able to do that later. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like I don't know, I just don't get why it's not like like what like what does hiding it do for you as an organization, as a league? Like, what do you actually yeah. gain from not releasing that? Every other team that signs, as you mentioned, Stu, um, you know, a handful of players that have come from overseas. It's like every, all the press releases are like, well, hey, by the way, this so-and-so has a grandparent that was born in Canada slash the United States. Therefore they are a domestic player. And then yeah. everybody knows that that's what that player is. Right. Um, yeah. I just don't understand that element of it, but it's, yeah, that it's sums it up. Yeah, it's yeah just that sums it up. Yeah. All right, should we move on to the? Should we move on to the final game of the weekend and uh, go yeah. from confusing rules to confusing lines? Because uh, Houston, <laughs> Houston playing again at uh, Dallas at the was it uh, Choctaw, Choctaw Stadium, Stadium. Uh, which also seems to be the XFL training ground as well. Uh, very well, confused. Yeah, there's a team. Well, I think the most confusing thing for me was that um, the halfway line was not the same halfway line as the uh, <laughs> XFL lines, and I'm just like, what is going on? But it's then again, they, uh, it's in yards instead of meters. It's significantly bigger than an American football field. Yeah, very strange. And well, uh, me needing to get my eyes tested aside, uh, this seemed to be. Uh, 
another case of more of the same from Dallas as uh, yeah. Houston were able to run rampant. The final score, 33-12. to 12. Houston, uh, you know, doing well with their signing, especially Gomez's, um, getting the try in the 29th minute. Uh, Dallas unable to score until the second half, but to their credit, they did get two tries, if only one conversion. Speaking of Canadians, Liam Murray and DeWald Cotsey started for Dallas with uh, Kyle Steves coming on right at the end for Juan Pablo Zeiss. Uh, uh, Houston, Robbie Povey doing double duty, uh, covering uh, Drew Wild for a few minutes uh, in the second half before then taking over from Carlo Donetian, apparently, as a scrum half. Which is, well, uh, he did he didn't actually. Nick Boyer played scrum half. Nick, Nick Boyer did, but it, it, yeah, I know. I'm just messing around with like the whole confusion of moving the team around to uh, get them to where they need to be. But yeah, Houston uh, picking up a few uh, knocks in uh, their first game of the season. Obviously, not uh, great, yeah. especially with uh, Van der Schiff getting that try and then coming off at the first hydration break. Goodness, and uh, yeah, yeah. So Houston yeah. looks good, man. That was a uh... Like I mean, I know they're playing Dallas, but like that was a that was a good first game for them. They got uh, their attack looked dangerous. The nation kicking game just killed Dallas. Just yeah, absolutely killed them. And that that yeah, so that, like that was great to see. I thought Danny Barrett too looks in near mid season form already. Um, there's absolutely nothing Dallas could do to stop him anywhere near a ruck. Um, yeah, uh, Dallas. I don't. I don't know, man. Dallas yeah. might. might I, know, I think they. But, I think they need more time with all their new players. New players. So, I think though, too, yeah. man. Um, great opportunity for Murray Kotze and uh, and uh, Steve's too, though. Because I mean, obviously, Murray and uh, Dewalt Kotze started this game, but like, yeah, you know, there's definitely like, which is great because it's like that. That could be a huge opportunity to get time all year as a like a regular MLR starter. Yeah, uh, and maybe you know, maybe Steve's can move up and get it, get a couple starts too. But yeah, um, if you can get know, that Canadian nice. uh, front row, that's yeah, I know they should to... roll out the all Canadian front row for a game. That'd be fun. Yeah. All right. Well, that's all the MLR games of this week. But now we come on to our predictions for round two. So, Derek, I'm just going to tell say the teams. You're just going to say who's uh, walking away the victor. Okay. Sure. Okay. First up, Seattle versus Atlanta. Uh, I'm going to go with Seattle. I think they, they look better. Yeah, I get that. Uh, I'm going to go with Atlanta just because I think their defense has been impeccable. Although you are going up against the seawall. Uh, yeah. I think um, uh, Seattle, is, well, just by points, uh, gave away one point more than Atlanta did uh, in round one. So therefore, I'm going to pick the defense of Atlanta. Next up, Utah versus Dallas. Uh, this is at Zions Bank Stadium, so I'm going to go with Utah for this one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. How's this? It's honestly, it's it's just tough to pick Dallas, man. Like it's I don't know. it's really it is what it is. I'm sorry, guys. I love your jerseys. Yeah. Logo's cool. All right, Houston hosting Nola. Oh, see, that's a big one. That's interesting because obviously Nola, you know. Might have some high aspirations this year. Where is this game? This is at um, Aviva Stadium. We'll go with Houston then. Go home team. I will spin the dice. I'm going to go with Nola. 
I like that pick. That's a big game. That's an interesting like <laughs> to that's me, a benchmark I, game. I think if you if you have guys like Dougie Fife starting, then I think it yeah. may make a difference, but we'll see. Uh right. New York versus Toronto. Um yeah, you know, I, I think I'm gonna go with Toronto on this one. Shocking. Shocking I pick, I know. And I'm I'm gonna be weird and I'm gonna pick the same thing. I'm gonna go with yeah, Toronto. You're gonna pick well. Toronto too. Wow. That's almost um, like we have a podcast where we exclusively cheer for this one team. Yeah, I guess we really should go to their website, larougerugby.ca, and uh, click on every link and listen to uh, every episode as well, yeah, just exactly. to be absolutely sure. Okay, final game of the weekend, uh, back at uh, Snapdragon Stadium, San Diego versus New England. See, this is a fun one, too, because this yeah, is another, this like, yeah, this is another, like, what are your intentions for the season game? Like, yeah. lay, down, lay down your marker here. Yeah. I am going to go with San Diego because I don't want to see New England win. I am going to go with Canadians, so I'm going to go with New England. Fair enough. And fair enough. So, yeah, those are the five games we have this weekend. Seattle versus Atlanta, Utah versus Dallas, Houston versus NOLA, San Diego versus New England, and New York versus Toronto. That Arrows game will be available on TSN4, TSN.ca, and TSN Plus, available and the other games, including the replay of New York versus Toronto, are available to Canadians on the Rugby Network. As well as those games, we have the return of the DAZN Six Nations. Uh, now, we should at least be getting two games this weekend, maybe three. Don't know if that uh, Wales player strike is going through as we are recording this on the Tuesday. But if you are looking for those games, those are on DAZN. And as we've mentioned subtly, I don't know if you may have caught this up. We may we have a brand new website, LaRougeRugby.ca, which has all our episode links that are available on Spotify, Anchor FM, and Apple Podcasts, as well as any videos that we have recorded, which were also available on our YouTube channel, again, at LaRougeRugby. And we are across social media, including Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok, at LaRougeRugby. Derek, where can the fine people find you? I'm uh, at Perset the Jet uh, across all social media networks. And uh, yeah, uh, it's been fun launching the website. I've been enjoying getting back into writing, hopefully to, uh, you know, put some more articles up on that website soon. Man, I'm looking forward to reading them and contributing myself. And you can find me across social media at Hardman, spelled H4RDMAN. Well, Derek, I think we're going to conclude it here for this round. Thank you so much for joining me. And thank you all for joining us for another episode of La Rouge Rugby Podcast, where we focus on real Canadian rugby. We hope you can join us again next time.